The scripture reading for tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 5. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a special occasion. Um, But one thing I want to say, you know, as much as we make a big deal of this ordination, and it is a big deal, yet, you know, well, let me say this too. Matt, this this is a conversation that we're going to have, and we're going to let all these other people in on this because this is something that I think you need to hear but it's also something I need to hear but as we think about this ordination you have a brother and two sisters that are also called to proclaim the kingdom and they are by God called by God where they are doing what they're doing and it's a very special thing but yet You know, as we have been called now to a specific task, a specific, Pacific, Atlantic, um, a specific calling, um, this is special and this is sobering. So, but when we think about it, when we think about our calling, what are you called to? What is going to make your ministry effective? What's going to make your life effective? 
How are we going to see, you know, for the rest of us too, how are we going to see fruit in the labors that we have? What's going to be the key to that? How are we going to accomplish this calling that we've been given? How can we see people's lives really changed? How can we see our own lives changed? Because that in itself is is a struggle. You know, what are you going to say on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon here before you come to preach the Word of God? What, What are you going to say when the enemy comes and begins to point out every way that you failed in this past week? How are you going to endure the disappointments that are going to come? And again, as, as I say this to Matt in particular, this does very clearly apply to the rest of us. The answer is simple. Whether we talk about ministry, where we talk about life, it is all about the crucified Christ. And it never gets away from it. It is all about Christ crucified. Did you see in this passage, Paul is writing to a very uh, dysfunctional church. And he's writing in such a way that he wants to see this church changed and transformed. And so what he does in these first few verses, he repeats this idea, this concept three times. You know, he's in the, first, in the very first verse, in chapter 1, verse 18, he says the word of the cross, you know, is foolishness. But he's talking about the word of the cross. And then later on in verse 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. And then you jump on over to chapter 2, verse 2. There where he says, and this is the strongest part of it. And it seems like with every statement that he says, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. He says, I decided that to know among you nothing except Christ and him crucified. And so for us, for the church that it's for us in life and it doesn't matter what we're doing, but especially in this ministry, for us, there's only one message. And it is the same for those here inside the church. It's the same for those outside the church. It's the same for when you're looking in the mirror. It is Christ crucified. And there are so many ways that that can be derailed. Whether it's with what we're trying to accomplish in ministry, or whether it's shifting our focus in ministry to something else, though it may be good, but it's it's not that core. Christ crucified. What does he mean by this? Well, what I want to do is focus very particularly on verse 30 of chapter 1. And you'll see it there in your um, worship program. 
And, and this is, though it's just one verse, I'm going to have to really fly through this to unpack it a little bit because there is so much that Paul says. What he says in that verse, in verse 30, he says, excuse me, he is the source. All right, wait a minute. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Let's unpack that a little bit. The very first thing he says may be the most profound. He says, because he, because of him, you are in Christ. And this is true for all of us. All of us who profess the name of Christ, we are in Christ. We are not just with Christ. We are in Christ. And Christ in us. And it's not because we made some good decision. Because Paul says, it's because of Him. He worked. He put you in Christ. In His mercy, in His grace, He puts us in Christ. Now, He goes on. He says, we are united to Christ by the power of God, by the work of God. You know, it's not just because I accepted Christ. It's because Christ accepted me. And being in Christ, I cannot be removed. I cannot be separated. Because it wasn't me who put me there. He did it. And so now, I am in Christ. And it's one of those concepts that we just cannot fully fathom. But he goes on, and he says now, he says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Now, what he doesn't say here is that we get wisdom from Christ, which we do. What he says here is that Christ himself is our wisdom. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, if you look at the context of where he's talking about here, remember, he's comparing the way of the kingdom with the way of the Greeks and the way of the Jews. And the Greeks thought, when you start thinking about the kingdom, is that we could be in Christ, that Christ came to earth, God become flesh, And to dwell as a man in our midst and then to die was, they could not get their heads around that. Because that was totally foolish. Because in the Greek mindset, everything that was flesh was bad. The spirit was good. And so the fact that God would become flesh did not compute. It was utterly foolish. Well, the Jews had trouble too. Because, see, they thought they were special through their, their sacrifices, through their religion. They 
found their purity through keeping the law, and the kingdom was gained by performing certain things. But again, what Paul was saying here was that no, God himself, who promised to come and rule and to take over, came to die. To be the sacrifice. And it wasn't through their performance and their religion. And so they couldn't handle that. And so what we have here is a kingdom that turns everything in the world upside down. So instead of us accomplishing our greatness and our righteousness, instead of us ascending to God, God came into the sewer of human existence. Died the death that men should die. And now we can have the kingdom through just believing in him. And it's so upside down. It's kind of going down of of admitting that we are helpless. But that God himself would come and take our place as the criminal So that the criminals could take the place of the royal son. What a system. But I'll take it. (laughs) This is the wisdom of God. It's Christ. A crucified Christ. But then he goes on and he uses three terms here. To describe more fully what it means that Christ is our wisdom. And the first thing he says is that he is our righteousness. I want to read uh, one of the parts of the uh, Heidelberg Catechism. And here is question 60. And let me read the question and then I'll read the answer and then unpack it just a little bit. The question is, how are you righteous before God? He says, only by true faith in Jesus Christ, so that, though my conscience accuse me, that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, Notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I had never had had nor committed any sin, yea, as if... I had fully accomplished all that obedience, that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. That's a mouthful. Let me just call our attention to a couple of things. Though my conscience accuse me, we know the reality of that. You probably do too. How many of you would say you were good enough? 
The enemy has a field day with our hearts. Because he is really, really good at keeping score. And remembering all those things that we do. Every way that we have failed. Every place that we did not make the grade. He knows. And he plasters it up right there in front of our view. And keeps reminding us over and over and over again. We deal with these all day long because we know. The standard which God has set, we cannot keep. But we don't have to. Because instead, what God does is gives us something else. And I love this word. There's three terms there. He says, he imputes to us satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness. It's that word satisfaction that really gets me. Because I walk into the courtroom, I walk in before my father, and he looks at me, and he says, well done. I'm satisfied. Because what he sees is the work of Christ. The judge is satisfied. It's enough. I love that. That's what he says to us. To all of us who are in Christ. And then he says one more thing. He says there at the end. He is so satisfied... He is so delighted and he looks upon us, the phrase, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. How happy do you think the Father was with Christ as he fully gave himself, where he said in the garden at the peak of his temptation, not my will but yours be done. How pleased do you think the Father was with him? That's what I have. Christ is our righteousness. Not what you earn. Not what you perform. Not what you do through your good behavior. It's Christ. The crucified Christ. Through him. The Father is satisfied. The second term that he used, that Paul used in this passage, is Christ is our righteousness, but he's also our sanctification. Now here, we think of sanctification as the process by which we become more and more conformed to Christ. And that is true. That's the way the scriptures use it. But the scriptures use it also in a different way. And sanctification is also a term that can mean kind of consecration. And in a sense, what we just did for you, and we ordained you, was to consecrate you, to set you apart for a very special purpose. And so what Paul means here is much more this idea of consecration. 
And to understand consecration, we have to go back. It's, it's a temple. It's a sacrificial term. So we have to go back to the Old Testament. And in Exodus 39 and 40, you see there as Moses has been given instructions for building the tabernacle and making all of the articles, all the vessels, everything in it, from the curtains to the, you know, the Holy of Holies to the Ark, to everything. And it's all completed now. And so now it's set up. They have erected the tabernacle. Everything is in its place. And the priests are now going through and sanctifying. You know, with the blood of the sacrifice, they are sanctifying, setting apart for holy purposes everything in the the tabernacle. All of the vessels, everything. Because that had to be done to purify, to make that temple a suitable dwelling for God himself. And so they do this. They go through everything. But then in verse 34 of chapter 40, then we see these words. Then, after they had done all of this, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And God said, it is suitable. And he came to dwell there in the tabernacle. It was prepared for him. Where's the temple now? It's here. Think about this. God says he has come to dwell in us. Which means that he had to make us an acceptable place for the glory of the Lord to dwell. Sprinkled, not by the blood of goats or sheep. It's the crucified Christ. And how extensive is his work? How pure has he made us? In all of the garbage that I still deal with, in all the failure, I have been made through the sacrifice of Christ into the dwelling of the glory of God. That's huge. I have been cleansed and sanctified that fully. That God would dwell in me and consider me a suitable place for his glory. All through the crucified Christ. Finally, Christ is our righteousness, he is our sanctification, he is our redemption. 
I love Christmas carols, especially Joy to the World, because there's one line in there. I wish we'd sing it all year long. He comes to make his blessings flow. Oh, come on, you know this hymn. How far? As far as the curse is found. There's a, I guess one of my favorite verses. John 3, 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. But beloved, I love that. It's beloved. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know. That when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. We are God's children now. We don't have to wait. But now. But yet, the world doesn't see us. They don't see the full reality because we still live on this side of glory. And so we still struggle. The people that we minister to, we struggle because they're broken. But we are broken in ourselves and we get terribly frustrated with that brokenness because we can't make it better. I can't fix it. And you know, as far as... I wish I could turn off, turn a switch in my heart that would just change me or change the fact that I think the world revolves around me. I wish I could just turn it off. And I can't. But a day's coming where it's going to be different. Because of the crucified Christ, I am guaranteed that I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to realize I'm just like him. Gosh, I can't wait. This is what Christ has come to do. Not just to give us a ticket to heaven. He's making all things new. And he's bringing his redemption as far as the curse is found. And that is in our world. It's also in our hearts. Nothing is going to be left undone. I can't, we can't transform them, but Christ is in the He is in process of doing it. We can't transform ourselves. He is in process of doing that. And one day it will be finished. So this is it. 
you know, if you want, our job is simple and impossible at the same time. Our job is to preach one thing and never get away from it. Because it's life for them and it's life for us. It is a Savior who died so that we can have life. It is a Son who became sin so that we could become righteousness. It was a sacrificial lamb who gave himself and shed his blood so that we might be so cleansed, so purified, that God himself in all his glory would come and dwell in our midst. And because the Savior was crucified, the Redeemer, he has guaranteed that the process of making all things new will not be finished until the end. That he will guarantee it will be finished. This is our message. Never get away from it. It's your life. It is your hope. Let's pray. Father, help us. There's so many distractions. There's so many competitive messages. Our hearts are full of them. The world is full of them. Give us eyes to see the crucified Christ and Him alone. And may we proclaim nothing else than Jesus and Him crucified. Thank you for giving us such a foolish but glorious message for a hopeless world. And we pray in his name. Amen.